<laughs> he's, he's on vacation this week. Well, guys, thank you so much for taking a moment to register for our upcoming small groups that, that are going to get started in a few weeks. Um, let me just make this public service announcement point. You know, this invite someone is both an opportunity for you to practice an aspect of hospitality. You know, hospitality is more than just having people come to your house for a visit, although it is that. But hospitality is just an aspect of having a life that's open to others. And there's a dimension of the Christian life that, that just requires that. It, you know, that's just not an option for us, that we, we need to regularly be in the practice of making room for people in our lives. And that's going to ebb and flow. I mean, I understand not everybody has the same kind of room in their life, and it'd be wrong for us to treat everybody like, hey, you should have room for people the way I have room for people, etc. But I think everybody needs to own the responsibility that we make room in our lives for people. Because God brings people into the kingdom of God. And so part of invite somebody, it's, a, it's got an imperative command to it because it's trying to tell every one of us, take responsibility for people. And we should. And so I, I hope you're here this morning and you, you hear that call to invite somebody and it, and it reminds you that you're responsible for people and help them in their well-being spiritually. Invite them, take a chance. Just invite them into something that you're doing. You're going to a small group, invite them to come with you. And that's what the church should feel like. It should feel very welcoming and lots of opportunities for us to connect our lives together with each other. Because we just need that, right? We need it. All right, well, as Evan mentioned, we are continuing the Summer Bible Jam. As best I can tell you, we've got one week left after this week. I don't think I'm going to extend the last week. But I did extend this week and added a week to what we were doing last week. So you'll, you'll see why here this morning. Uh, but I've entitled this, this was supposed to be the, the section in your study called the Proclaimed Kingdom. It's that chapter beyond Jesus accomplishing the cross and the resurrection. We're into the next chapter of what God's doing and his unfolding plan in the Bible. So that's what, we're just following the storyline of the Bible. And we're, we're trying to realize for ourselves personally, that the most important thing about my personal story isn't exactly my personal story. And that's just kind of hard to get in my head, right? I think the things that make me a unique human being, the background I've come from, where I've lived, I tend to treat those things like that's, that's what's most important about me. But what's most important about me is not my story as much as God's story right? So God has a story that's going on that you and I are a part of that story. So right now you and I are in a chapter of God's story. And, and maybe you've never thought of your life that way. Maybe you just thought, well, you know, tell me about yourself. Well, I'm, you know, I'm grew up here in New Orleans and I'm this old and I went to school this way. And my family's got this background. Okay. That's all true. But what's most important about my life is what, what chapter of God's story do you find yourself in? Because God has assigned you to be in a particular place and time amidst what he's doing. So God's doing something right now. 
And we want to learn a little bit more about what that is. And so we've said this chapter is called The Last Days. And that's, you know, the last days in the Bible has got that hooky-spooky feel to it. You know, it's the last days. Ooh, a lot of us are waiting for the last days to get started, right? Because we're, we read the book of Revelation and we're waiting. Actually, we're kind of like waiting for the last second of the last days uh, when we read that way. It's like we're waiting for all this signs in the skies and things to start happening and the end of stuff to be just right within arm's reach. But the Bible doesn't talk about the last days like the last few seconds, it talks about this long chapter, now it's been pretty long, called The Last Days, and you and I are part of that. And so the title this morning is The Presence of God in the Last Days. We start with Mr. A.W. Tozer, and if you haven't read Tozer in a while, you just need to read Tozer from time to time. Everybody should take a dose of Tozer from time to time. So here's a dose of Tozer for you. He says, within every human breast rages this desire, driving him forward. Many a person confuses the object of that desire and spends his or her entire life striving for the unobtainable. Very simply put, the great passion in the heart of every human being who are created in the image of God is to experience the awesome majesty of God's presence. Right, can you just pause for a second and figure out whether you agree with Mr. Tozer for a second? Every one of us has some burning, intense cravings in our lives that you can find them. You fill up your time. You spend your money a certain way. You hold your hopes out for certain things happening. But according to Mr. Tozer, and he's trying to reflect what he thinks the Bible teaches, and I think he's accurate, what we're really after is this experiencing, because we want to experience things, right? Do you want to experience anything in your life? Why ride, ride roller coasters, go stare at the Grand Canyon, whatever it is that you've done in your life? Because we want to experience things because we're made by God to experience. And that's not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing. And so we're to experience the awesome majesty of God's presence. He says, the highest accomplishment of humanity is entering the overwhelming presence of God. Nothing else can satiate this burning thirst. The average person, unable to understand his passion for intimacy with God, fills his life with things, hoping somehow to satisfy his inward longing. He chases that which is exterior, hoping to satisfy that inner thirst, but <clears throat> to no avail. St. Augustine, the Bishop of Hippo, captured the essence of this desire in his confessions. He said, thou, speaking to God, he says, thou hast created us for thyself, and we are restless until we rest fully in thee. Right, so there's something about us that we would be well served if we could learn this as quickly as possible in our lives. There's something about us having been created by God and for God that we will be forever restless, never settled, never quite satisfied until we realize that God himself is the object of what we really long for on the inside. Now, you can try everything else to substitute for God, and people do. But what the Bible reveals is that God created us for Him. 
But yet that was lost. That relationship was lost for all of humanity. So, so please, you know, I don't know what your storyline is about how we exist and why we exist. And I, I've got kind of a crazy little diagram here that I'm going to try and unpack in a second. But, you know, here is the storyline of God. When God begins, he, he creates us and he breathes his life into us. So you and I come to life, not of our own, but, but God, by the very life of God coming to us. So we, we have this animating presence inside of us from the beginning. But, but when you go to explain humanity's plight, humanity's existence, do you recognize that everybody lost that? Everybody lost that presence of God. Now, I put that emphatically because some of us will explain the idea, well, well, you know, God created us and, and we're all God's children and, and that imagery creates a relationship with God that does not exist. That's bad news. If you have an idea that somehow the God who created everything is still hunky-dory with everybody and he always has been, then you, you got a Bible that doesn't make any sense. This Bible is all about, it's, it's a long story all about trying to fix a problem. There's a problem. And that's what we've been studying. That's why we've taken the whole summer to start in Genesis and just quickly move our way through this whole book to find out it's, it's a story about restoration. It's a, it's a story about God stepping into what is broken and fixing it. Well, what exactly is God fixing? Well, you know, the, the book that we're reading alongside the Bible here this summer uses the motif of a kingdom because the Bible uses that motif. That there was this kingdom, God created a kingdom where he would be the king. And he would have his servants and subjects to be the, the people, the humanity that he made. And so he began this kingdom and created it. And then it, it fell, it perished. Remember that chapter, the perished kingdom. And then God now is working to restore that kingdom. And that's what the Bible's about. But, but can I just say this? You could make a different motif to follow for this storyline. Instead of a kingdom motif, you could tell the story of the lost and found presence of God. And it's very important that you don't lose that because in the beginning when God created, he, there was an intimacy and a connection and a fellowship and a, and a life joining between God and man that when the kingdom perished, that was lost. That's what was lost when the world fell into sin. And so the story of God is him bringing that back all the way to the end. And so more than anything else, there's lots that God does in Scripture that touches day-to-day -day existence and human life, and, and, and we're encouraged by all kinds of things. We memorize all kinds of passages. But ultimately, what was God after? He was after restoring that which was lost. What was lost? we lost the presence of God. And that's what he's been restoring. So let me put my crazy uh, diagram up here. Looks great. <laughs> this is like the emperor's clothes. Some of y'all can see that. Some of y'all can't. Okay. If you can see it, you're saved and going to heaven. <laughs> All right. 
what's in your outline there. And there's a ton of stuff here, and I'm not going to apologize, but, ah, beautiful. Um, I'm going to do more reading than I ever do in a message. Uh, and so, so we're, we're going to move through a lot of notes. We're going to move through them quickly because we're going to read a lot together. Because one of the challenges of teaching the Bible the way we have this summer is that you're picking up these giant chapters of what God is doing and you're trying to say something really concise. And so I'm, I'm trying to do that, but there's a lot here, right? So here's the illustration. At one point, right, Genesis 3, at one point, God's presence with man exists at a certain level. And then the fall comes. And what I want this diagram to represent is that when man falls to a different level, he regains the presence of God, but not fully until the very end. But he does regain it in pieces. And you and I live in one of these pieces. We live in a chapter where the presence of God has been regained in a particular way, and our chapter is unique. Now, before you get all bloated about that, our chapter is, maybe you could say, better than the one that was before us. And their chapter was better than the one that was before theirs. But our chapter is not as good as the one that's coming. All right, so this is, this is that unfolding dimension of God. And this, side note, I need to not chase too many of these, but um, sometimes when God doesn't do everything in your life or everything in your chapter, it, it causes some people to look at the Bible and say, see, you can't trust the Bible. You know, I, you see, God doesn't, but what you overlooked was that God intentionally put certain things in this chapter and left out certain things in this chapter. So as we said last week, if you're in this chapter saying, well, Jesus has gone to the cross, he's died, his, his blood has been shed, he's restored us to God. So how come I don't have divine health all the time? How come, how come my mom didn't die of cancer? How come, you know, we import these ideas into this moment and we shake our fist at God and we say, God, why didn't you do everything you could have done? And this is why it's important that we understand the Bible's flow. What if God is telling you right now, I'm not intending to do everything that I could do right now. I'm unfolding this a piece at a time. Now, eventually, it'll completely unfold. But right now, you are in an unfolded piece of the story. And it's important that we get that piece, right? So let me just race through these pieces here, right? Go back into the beginning. Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. Again, all these are in your notes. So please make use of them as you get some time to pray this week. Genesis 2, verse 17 says, For the day, this is the instruction given to man in the garden, the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die, right? Now, we understand that that death doesn't mean that they physically fell down to the earth and stopped breathing. That's the death that we describe. But what the death that occurred was the separation of their life from God's life. So the dwelling presence of God is going to die in them. And they are now going to continue to exist, but minus the indwelling presence of God. And that's the death of humanity. That's the perishing that took place, right? So then we have this extended period from Genesis chapter 3 all the way to Exodus chapter 25. You don't find much said about the presence of God. There are moments when Abraham will interact with God. There are moments when Isaac will interact with God and Jacob will interact with God. And there are a few moments where Moses will interact with God. 
But there's no organized plan for the presence of God amongst man until we get to Exodus chapter 25. And we read this. God said, let them make me a sanctuary or a tabernacle that I may dwell in their midst. So God summons them to Mount Sinai and he says, hey, listen, I want to dwell among you. Right? I want what I had in the beginning with Adam and Eve, this dwelling presence, me with them, them with me. I want that back. I want to be among you. So here's what you're going to do. You're going to create this thing called a tabernacle. It's going to have all these sacrifices and stuff involved where blood's going to be shed to deal with the sin that separates us because I want to be in your midst. And you remember, God shows up in the tabernacle, doesn't he? His presence is there. You came to the tabernacle, you traveled there from wherever you were, and there was this manifest presence of God taking place. There was fire that was over the tabernacle, and there were these pillars of cloud representing the presence of God in that place. So God had restored his presence at some level, right? You do recognize that's not how God's hanging out with us today, right? So something different's going on. This is different than what Abraham had and Isaac had and Jacob had, but it's also different than what you and I have as well. So we fast forward, this temple and tabernacle dwelling of God occupies much of the Bible until we get into the Gospels. The temple is still going on. There's still a place where God is manifesting his presence and sacrifices are being made. But Jesus has now come, and he says this in John chapter 7 in the Gospels. He says, on the last day of the feast, right, great crowd is gathered in this feast day, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. Do they have it yet? No, they do not. But they were to receive it. It's a coming thing. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So so we're standing On the edge, we're reading the last lines of this page and we're about to turn the page into a new chapter right here. And Jesus says, not yet, not yet, not yet. You don't have the spirit this way, but you're about to. We're about to turn a page here. So even when Jesus was here, there was a manifesting of God's presence that is different than what was about to happen that he points to in John chapter 7. Then John chapter 20, Jesus has gone to the cross now. He's accomplished this work. And it says this in John 20. And when he had said this, right, this is where we are in the time. If you're not familiar with with the gospel of John, we're toward the end now of the gospel of John. Jesus has gone to the cross. He's paid the price for sin. He's shed his blood. He's reconciled man to God and he's, he's been resurrected. And he has now a meeting with his disciples. And he says, when he said this to them, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this this is no small moment. This is giant in God's heart. Because you remember, 
that breathing on man finds its origin in Genesis chapter 2. It says, then the Lord formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. He came alive with the life of God. Same exact, now the Old Testament is written originally in Hebrew, but there's a translation of it into the Greek language. And in the Greek of the New Testament and the Greek of the Old Testament, same exact word is used here. What Jesus does in breathing back into these disciples the life of God is the same word used to describe what God did with Adam when he breathed his life into man. Right Now, this is different, isn't it? This is not what God was doing at the tabernacle when he established the tabernacle. And he was setting up a dwelling for his presence. This is different. And then there's a further unfolding of the Spirit's presence in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. This is just days after Jesus had breathed on them. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, what is happening in this moment is historic. All right, you guys remember, God would manifest his presence in the Old Testament. We've revisited some of this as we've moved through Exodus. God would show up on mountains and there would be smoke and there would be fire and there would be sounds that they would describe like a trumpet blast and rumblings. And here you have in a little upper room, people are gathered together and praying and you have that sort of event showing up with them. And they describe it this way. It was like this mighty rushing wind came and just shook the place. And then these little pieces of fire set on top of each one of us. All right, now, what, what do you think that's trying to communicate? Because in the system leading up to this moment, when there was fire manifest, it represented the presence of God in the Old Testament. And so the fire of God showed up at the temple in the tabernacle and he would reside there and the fire would show his presence residing in that tabernacle. And yet when we come to the New Testament, we find out we have become the tabernacle, the temple of God. And God puts that on display by having little pieces of fire go to each individual temple, representing that I am now dwelling within each one of you. You understand this, this has happened in an extremely limited fashion, but this is new to humanity. Can, can you imagine in this moment, they don't know what to do with this. Can you go there for a second? Because they're fallen human beings. They're, their nature has been to live life with very little spiritual connection ever since Adam lost it. So this sense of the presence of God with them is a foreign thing. And I'm sure they don't know what to do with it. And God is just doing what he's doing in their midst. And then it goes on in that same chapter. 
the apostle Peter is going to now preach and explain what happened when the spirit of God comes on them and fire comes and God moves on them verbally and they begin to prophesy and speak in tongues. The, the presence of God is being manifest in that setting. And then Peter explains it this way. He says, but this, this thing that you're seeing is what was uttered through the prophet Joel in the last days. What chapter are we in? last days it shall be God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters will prophesy your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams right? this is the fulfillment of God's returning his life and dwelling presence to man that was lost in Adam in the last days this was not available before this. But in this next chapter, we just turned the page and into a new chapter we've come and there's a new dimension of the spirit and the presence of God now available to man. Now, what I, I want to make sure we don't do this. That we don't lose the end as we fall in love with the means. Did you realize there's a lot in the Bible that's very, 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 very important? How important? Important. That is actually a means unto an end. It is not the end. You understand that Jesus Christ going to the cross and dying, that event which we have placed as a centerpiece of Scripture, is a means unto an end. And don't, nobody pick up stones and get ready to throw them at me now. And if you think for a second, you get that, right? It wasn't an end. It wasn't just like, okay, done. He did say it's finished, but yet he wasn't finished, was he? Because we're reading after he said it's finished, there's still stuff going on. And there's still going to be stuff going on because the death of Christ, the shedding of his blood, the removal of sin's barriers were all a means unto an end. You remove a barrier, Why? So you can have access and fellowship and nearness. So all this stuff that God did in Christ was necessary for something else to be able to happen. And that's what's happening here in the New Testament. All right, listen to what Galatians chapter 4 says. This is, this is a clarifying scripture. I've right, been reading all these pieces of God's story. It says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those, right? To buy us back, those of us who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. So he did something in order for us to receive something. It's a means unto an end. And then he describes this receiving this way. And because you are sons God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Right? Where, where is it that you and I get this sense of belonging to God, of affectionate relationship with God, of acceptance with God? Well, we get it by the spirit who has come to dwell in us, the spirit of his son, who, by the way, would never, ever, or could ever have come if Jesus Christ had not removed the barrier of sin and paid for our penalty. What Jesus did was a means 
unto an end. But the end is the intimate, restored relationship between God's people and himself with his presence dwelling near to us, affecting us, being experienced by us. This is the chapter that we live in now. And guess what? There's another chapter of this coming. And then you'll be able to truly say it is finished, right? Revelation chapter 21, we're right toward the end here now. John says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, right? So here we are at the end, the new heavens and the new earth. And here's the proclamation that comes in that moment. This is the announcement. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Of all the things that God could say in this moment, the introducing of the new heavens and the new earth begins with this. I'm back among my people. I'm dwelling with my people once again. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And later in verse five, it says, and he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. Now it is really, really done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. To the thirsty, to the thirsty like the John chapter 7 thirsty, all of you who thirst, let them come to me and drink, and out of your innermost being will flow these rivers of living water. But this he spoke with reference to what? The spirit who was not yet available to them in the way in which God was about to unfold his presence being available to them. And when you and I get to the new heaven and the new earth, right? That's the, we live in this chapter of the last days. And that's going to come to an end at some point. And God will turn the lights off on this place. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And in that place, things are going to be different there. But what will still be at the centerpiece of everything God is about is that God will dwell with his people. It seems to matter to God that he dwell with his people. That's what God has been restoring. All the steps and chapters of the story that we have been reading about are about God restoring his life to us, restoring his presence to us. And we need to make sure we don't lose the end as we fall in love with the means. And by the way, we should fall in love with the means. Pretty amazing what God did to restore us. It reveals God to us. It's the basis for our worship. But you can lose the end, can't you? And only focus on the means and set aside the thing that was most dear in the heart of God was his presence dwelling with us. So here's the great story. I think I'll put this in your outline. The great story of God begins with man intimately connected with God's life, his presence. That presence is lost. 
God takes action to partially restore his presence. God greatly restores his presence in the last days. Then God completely restores his presence in the new heaven and the new earth. But notice what was the aim of all this? It was the dwelling presence of God among his people. All right, now, honest question. Nobody needs to raise their hand on this. How many of you guys are really, really satisfied with your awareness and experience of the dwelling presence of God in your life? That's a different question than me asking. How many guys are satisfied with the amount of Bible reading that you're doing? The number of scriptures you've memorized? How consistent you are in coming to church? That's a different question, isn't it? Because you can do a lot of those things and yet still in some ways often be missing the presence of God and an awareness of his nearness and an impact of the life of God being near to us, touching us in the ways that God's presence does. Right? Mr. Tozer again says, how few of God's people really enjoy the fullness of their salvation? Many are satisfied with their destination, but they neglect the journey. The day-by-day experience of God's presence is something totally foreign to many Christians. Do you understand that you can do a really good job of explaining the atonement and the sacrificial death of Christ in your place and the substitution of his blood for yours to pay for the penalty of sin? And think... Well, that's what the Christian life is, right? It's me knowing that doctrine, right? Well, if you've done that to yourself, do you understand you have lost the end and found the means? The atoning work of Christ exists to bring you near to God. That's why it exists. It doesn't just exist for you and I to be able to explain it, for you and I to be able to challenge all those people out there who are trying to get to God by works. Oh, no, 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 I can pick the Bible up and can show you all over the place where that's not accurate. Okay, we should be able to do that. When we explain the gospel, we have to be able to explain what God has done. But how mindful am I of the presence of God in my life? How impacted am I of his nearness and his life being manifest to me, through me, among me, That's what God was after. That's why God did all that, to recapture his dwelling among us. And I don't want to lose that. So here's some thoughts on the presence of God in these last days. We're in the last days. We're not in Abraham's day. We're not in the tabernacle days anymore. We're in the last days. In your outline there, I said, so we're not in the chapter of the new heavens and the new earth either of the presence of God. That'll be a different experience of God's presence. We are in the chapter of the last day's presence of God. Wayne Grudem says the work of the Holy Spirit is to manifest the active presence of God. Those are loaded words, very helpful. Manifest the active presence of God because everybody in this room believes in a God who exists and believes in something called activity of God. But my question is, what is it like to come in contact with the active presence 
of God. And do you have a category for the difference between the God who is present everywhere because there, you can't go anywhere in God's creation and he's not somehow present and the difference between God showing up and manifesting his presence there, which we find all over scripture, don't we? Right, the burning bush was a manifestation of the presence of God. Was God not at the burning bush before it was set on fire? Well, no, of course he's everywhere. But he showed up uniquely, right? His presence showed up uniquely. And how aware are we of that? He says in the Old Testament, the presence of God was many times manifested in the glory of God and in theophanies. And in the Gospels, Jesus himself manifested the presence of God among men. But after Jesus ascended into heaven and continuing through the entire church age, the Holy Spirit is now the primary manifestation of the presence of the Trinity among us. You know, when the psalmist cries out, my soul thirsts for thee, I think he's saying something a little bit different than you should read your Bible. Now listen, I get to say that because this is a, a series during the summer about reading your Bible, right? So there's nobody in this room that can say, yeah, see, I knew it. Keith is one of those guys. He's just into experience. He doesn't care about the Bible. You can't accuse me of that, <laughs> right? Because I forced down everybody's throat a whole lot of Bible every time you come in this room. So if anything, I, I'm, I'm overdoing some things Bible-wise. But when our soul cries out for God, it's not just trying to say, I need to read my Bible more. It's crying out for the living God. This is recorded information about the living God. This is a means to an end. It's not the end. You can memorize this whole book and know very little, maybe, of God's presence near you and affecting you. I think God meant more than that. All right, this chapter, we're in this last day's chapter. This chapter features the Holy Spirit's ministry, features the Holy Spirit's ministry and presence among us. We are in the age of the Spirit, right? A couple of thoughts from some well-qualified guys here. Gordon Fee in his book, God's Empowering Presence. How many of you guys have heard of Gordon Fee? How many of you guys have heard of the book, God's Empowering Presence? All right, um, it's about a thousand pages, so I know you're not gonna run right out and wanna buy it. I, don't, I, I think it, I would say it this way. It's unparalleled in terms of helpful books, in terms of understanding the ministry of the Holy Spirit, unparalleled. So there's, there's lots of good books about the Holy Spirit, but the amount of scholarship done by Gordon Fee with that book to study all that the New Testament has to say about the ministry and life of the Holy Spirit among us, unparalleled. So if you, you'd like to get a good understanding of the ministry of the Spirit, that book would be a place to spend some time. He says, the Spirit in Paul's experience and theology was always thought of in terms of the personal presence of God. The Spirit is God's way of being present, powerfully present in our lives and communities as we wait for the consummation of the kingdom of God. 
William Evans, in his book, The Great Doctrines of the Bible, says, we are living in the age of the Spirit. The Old Testament period may be called the age of the Father. The period covered by the Gospels, the age of the Son. From Pentecost until the second advent of Christ, the age of the Spirit. All matters pertaining to the doctrine of the Holy Spirit should therefore be of special interest to us who live in this age of special privilege. Yet how ignorant is the average Christian concerning matters pertaining to the Spirit. Right? All right, God's plan keeps unfolding, right? Abraham and Isaac and then Moses, and then the plan unfolds into this thing called the tabernacle, given by God, a revelation of him. How many of you know that if you live in the chapter of the tabernacle, you ought to know something about the tabernacle? How many of you guys would say that's true? Right? This is what God has chosen as a vehicle to reveal his presence to us. So if I live in that chapter, I ought to be a specialist in the tabernacle. But then this next chapter unfolds, and there is no tabernacle like that in it. Now it is the Holy Spirit and his dwelling among men. That's the chapter of the last days. Now, how many of us know I might ought to be a specialist in that chapter, because that's the chapter I live in, and God is doing some things differently in this chapter. John Piper says, there is a peculiar responsibility upon us today to know and experience the Holy Spirit. And I would say know and experience are important words. We live in a unique climactic period of redemptive history, the days of the Spirit. Just as Israel of old had a special responsibility to know and honor God as Father in oneness of his nature, and just as the people of Palestine had a special responsibility to know and honor Jesus as the Son of God in the days of his flesh. So now we have a special responsibility to know and honor the Holy Spirit. The sin of despising his presence, John Owen the Puritan wrote this, the sin of despising his person and rejecting his work now is of the same nature with idolatry of old and with the Jews' rejection of the person of the Son. Oh, how favored we are as a people to be living in the age of the Spirit. This is the chapter God has chosen for you and I to live in. <clears throat> it is a different chapter than the ones that came before it. And it is different for us who are still, still fallen creatures who our birthplace back in Adam still convinces us that all of life is natural. Right? That breath of God thing, that was lost to humanity. It's, it's now a foreign intrusion into this fallen world. So it's only natural for you and I to live in the natural. It is unnatural to this fallen frame of mind to live in the spirit, in the supernatural. You ever want to figure out why is it so hard to do some of this stuff? Well, that's why. Can I just tell you the chapter that's coming after the last days, you will have no problem like this. All right, there's no 
war between the flesh and the spirit. There's none of that going on anymore. That chapter comes to an end and, in the, and we get to enjoy God unhindered. There's no countercurrent. There's nothing pulling against. There's no resistance. There's, there's no need to write all these epistles in the New Testament to try and take that which is true to become experientially true for people. That's why all that writing is there because of this great disconnect of all that God has done, all that he's given to us and so little of it being experienced. That's why Paul's got to write letter after letter after letter to one church after another. Now listen, the chapter that comes after our chapter, cruise control, autopilot. None of this stuff exists in it. There's no friction. We just glide over ice and experience God fully. That's not our chapter. And the Bible doesn't present this chapter this way. And what I want to make important to us is we need to pay attention to the chapter that we live in, lest we live in this time and experience very little of the presence of God, even in this chapter. And that's possible. Let me share a few thoughts about interacting with the Holy Spirit in these last days. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, opens the book of Hebrews this way. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but, right, this adversative word, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. All right, so writer of Hebrews validates all that the prophets said. That was God. God was revealing some things about himself and about his plan in all kinds of ways and at many times. But, right, so as soon as I install this word but, now I'm expecting a little bit of a change here, a little bit of an alteration here. A difference is now being emphasized. But now God speaks through his son. What were the prophets speaking? I don't have time to go back in this. If you go back and look at, listen to last week's message. The prophets were looking for this salvation and they were speaking about it through the years, through all these previous chapters leading up to Christ. But the most clear point in all the Bible where God speaks the most clearly about salvation is in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So he spoke in all kinds of ways, you know, this hint of lambs who would be slain and blood that need to be slain and who, who the lineage would be and where this Messiah would come from. Spoke in all kinds of ways. But the most clear place he spoke is when Jesus Christ comes as the son of God wrapped in human flesh and yields his life and sheds his blood and is resurrected by the father. That's the most clear place. So he spoke one way and then he spoke, if you will, a different way right here. All right, I think I could say the exact same thing about the presence of God, right? Long ago, God made known his presence in many ways. Did he not in the Old Testament? In many ways, God made his presence known. But in these last days, he is making his presence known by the indwelling and empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, do you notice something? The way in which God's presence was known formally versus the way in which God has chosen to make his presence known today is different. Right? Anybody want their money back because you showed up at church this morning and there was no fire coming out of the top of the building and no smoke, column of smoke going up into the heavens? I'm like, wow, I guess the power's out around here. 
You don't expect that, right? Well, what do you expect? What do you expect in its place? That was the manifesting of the glory of God upon earth. Does God stop manifesting his glory? No, now he has transferred it to the indwelling and empowering presence of his spirit among us. So the glory now is not intended to look like fire and smoke, but it is intended to look like something. It's supposed to be manifest among us. Be, be careful. You know, in many times, in many ways, God spoke through the prophets. You remember Jesus having a conversation with the Pharisees and the leaders of his day about the Bible and about their knowledge of the Bible? They actually knew the Bible. They actually studied the Bible. And he made an amazing statement to them. He says, you know, you guys, you search the scriptures because you believe in them that you have life. But it's the scriptures that speak of me. And here's the presence of God standing right in front of you and you know nothing about me. How many of you guys know the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the religious leaders of the day who knew their Bibles didn't know Jesus? You with me? Did they know their Bibles? Yeah. That's a weird thing, isn't it? That you can come into a, quote, relationship with the Bible and miss the presence of God. Now listen, the presence of God on earth was Jesus Christ walking and shaking hands with you. That was the presence of God on earth. It was the agenda of God to restore that presence to God's people. And here are a group of people reading their Bibles and missing out on the presence of God. How many of you guys think that you're exempt from that? That that couldn't describe you or me. That I could be a guy reading my Bible and missing out on experiencing the presence of God by the Spirit. Well, I don't know how you conclude that, but I promise you, I feel like I know that can be true of me and too often is true of me. And I don't like it. All right, here's, here's my point of emphasis before I, I am going to conclude in a minute here. The last days are to be characterized as a unique chapter of the Spirit's ministry and we will need to learn to cooperate with the Spirit in that chapter. This chapter is different. It's got some uniqueness to it, right? The, go back here, right? We've got last days. We've got tabernacle days. We've got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob days, right? When God's chosen a people. God said, Abraham, you and your descendants, you're going to be my special people of all the people on the earth. But they didn't experience the presence of God through the tabernacle. And in the day that God installed the tabernacle, God's presence was experienced now differently by these people than it had been by Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were going to need to do it differently, and they were going to need to learn God differently. And then you and I live in the next chapter, and it's still true for us. There's going to be some difference here. And Jesus highlighted some of these differences, right? Let me race through these verses. Just listen for how Jesus highlights it's going to be a little different, guys. And this is true all over the place. I'm just choosing this line of thought to illustrate. John 14, verse 16. Jesus is on this last evening together with his disciples. He's about to pass the baton, if you will, to the Holy Spirit. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another 
helper, right? The word another is a word for a different helper, right? Not the same helper, another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. So there's a highlighting of the disconnection between the spirit of God and humanity. The spirit of God is unknown by the natural man. And listen, your natural man is going to go with you all the way to the grave. There's a piece of you that doesn't notice God. And you are housed inside of it. And you might need to be aware of it because you can live very natural-minded, right? You, he speaks to his disciples, these guys following him. He says, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Is that different? Yes, it is. So Jesus is preparing them that what's about to happen to you guys, it's going to be different. It's not going to be like me hanging out with you guys every day. It's not going to be like me speaking words to you. The spirit is invisible and he's going to be in you, not just with you. It's going to be different, guys. John 14, later in that chapter, he says, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. All right, so now we get to learn something that the Spirit does when he comes to us. He's, he's a revealing and a teaching presence in our midst. And so then we pick that up a little bit. Let's, let's pick that up and see what it sounds like in the New Testament. First Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says, But as it is written... What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Not through natural insight, not through scientific experimentation, not even through human reasoning, but the Spirit somehow, and I don't claim to know completely how, is involved in awakening us to ideas and imparting things to us that suddenly make sense to us. It says, for the spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this... In words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. How many of you can see this is, this is different, isn't it? This is Paul explaining to people that, hey, I know you're used to doing things naturally, but there's some stuff out there that no eye has seen and no ear has heard. And if you're only trying to use your eyes and your ears and your human capacity and reasoning, you will never get some of this. Because it's a ministry of the Spirit, that invisible, mysterious person of God who now dwells in you and empowers your life. I know that's full of mystery, but you and I might need to figure out how to connect with that mystery, right? Because the alternative for me is to live a natural-minded life, and I'm quite capable of that. I need no help, and I wake up in the morning, and natural-mindedness is already in gear. 
It's already down the road. It's already lived half my day. It's already thought its thoughts. It's got a plan. It's jotted some things down. It's the to-do list already. But the things of the Spirit can feel foreign. But, but we live in the last days, in the days of the Spirit invading and revealing the thoughts of God to us. I, I should never be satisfied if I'm not experiencing that. It's part of the chapter that I live in, right? A couple more thoughts on that and I'm done. Jeremiah 31, Old Testament prophet, foresees this coming day. He says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, right? So somebody engrave the word different in that. It's a different thing, isn't it? I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. Now that's different, right? Because the chapter right before this one the law was written on stone. The God made his presence known to Moses and he engraved on stone the law of God and that got read through eyes and there was this sense of the law of God out there that the heart of man knew there's something right about this, but I, I know it out there. God says, oh, but there's coming a day when it's gonna be different. When we turn the next chapter into the last days, me, the God who wrote on stone tablets, I'm going to mysteriously reach inside of you by the Spirit and I'm going to write these things on your heart. All right, common sense, guys. How many of you know it's different to read something that just came out of your Hewlett-Packard printer and read something that's mysteriously written on your heart? God engraved in stone and man read it. This is different. It is an awareness from the inside out that he points to in this moment. He says, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And listen, no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord, right? Unlike the Moses who comes down from the mountain who's had this unique encounter with God that nobody else can have because the presence of God was made known to him and he comes down and says, this is going to be a different day. The tongues of fire will sit on each one and I will dwell among each one of them. They will all know me. I will be in their lives in that kind of a way. Now, Listen, listen, and you may not have thought of this. This is a, this is a Holy Spirit-rich verse. This next one. Yeah, I, I'm not your typical charismatic Pentecostal. I am in all the ways that you're afraid that I am. <laughs> but I'm, I'm a little different than that in that I, I see the Holy Spirit in places that don't get highlighted often by charismatics and Pentecostals. Like in this verse here. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason... Apostle Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. All right, that's what he's praying for, right? Anybody have any idea what that's gonna look like when it happens? I'm just curious. Does it look like a gas pump hooked up to you? I mean, what does this look like when it happens? Well, I don't know that I have a natural explanation for it. 
I just know the Apostle Paul was aware that a need that existed in the lives of believers that somehow mysteriously by the power through the Spirit, there would be this inner strengthening that would take place. Now, I know this. I know what it's like to feel really inner weak. And I'm very grateful that there's something out there that makes me inner strong. And that's what he's referring to. And interesting, now hold in, in place here. These are Christians. Do these Christians have the Holy Spirit? If they don't, they're not Christians. But the Apostle Paul is praying for them an experience of that spirit. Do you get that in this passage? For him to stand over their lives and say, hey, I want this for you. I don't know that you're getting it, but I want this for you. I'm praying that it'll happen in your life. This dislodges us from the idea that everything about the spirit in these last days is automatic. No, 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 no. Automatic is in the next chapter. When it unfolds and we skate across ice with no friction and no disturbance of what God does in our lives. It is not in this chapter. In this chapter, Paul's got to pray for those that he loves and you and I should do the same. And we are introduced to an awareness that you and I can live in these last days with a diminished experience of the Spirit. And if you're diminished in this category, look what you get to miss out on, verse 17. So that, he'll be the outcome of this Spirit's operation, so that Christ may dwell you love that word now that you've read it all the way into Revelation? Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. whether you're Pentecostal, charismatic, or in between, or outside of both. Did you realize that that verse there needs the ministry of the Holy Spirit for it to ever be true in your life? Did you realize that? And what do you do when you go to people and you say, ah, oh, you know what that person needs right there? They just, they're going through a hard time. They're full of doubt, unbelief. They've gone inside themselves. Their whole world is caving in on them. Somehow what they need is a revelation of the love that God has for them that they would be deeply rooted in that in such a way that they would be stabilized by it. Do you understand how Paul would pray for that for a person? He would pray that it be a move of the Spirit of God in their life in these last days that would produce that in them. I don't know what you call that. But that's Pentecostal, charismatic, whatever. It's the power of the Spirit among God's people being manifest. If it's not that, what is it? How are you going to help somebody experience that? Just give them a book? Which I'm not again, I would, I'd give you a book. But it's just not words. It's just not ideas. It's just not human impartation. There's something of the spirit here mysteriously involved in bringing this into our lives. Eric, I don't know if you're coming or... Um, all right, can I just install this one where I keep standing at this part of the stage, right? At this point, the last days begin. And Jesus keeps installing this. The apostles keep installing this in their, in their epistles. When you step into the last days, this chapter is going to be different. 
And if you want to live in this chapter with God, if you want to experience God, you are going to need to pay attention to how it's going to be different. It is not going to be automatic. And it may involve you entering into it. Right? Jesus stands in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says, wait here in Jerusalem and you will be clothed with power from on high. When the Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power, Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says. So there's something coming that you don't have now. It's going to be different. All right, let me just, let me tell you why I stopped and paused at this point, because I could have moved on. The book didn't spend much time here. Uh, the proclamation chapter of the kingdom, we could have just gone to the last chapter. But, but here, here's for us, and I want you to follow me and why this message matters for us. One, it legalizes focusing on the Holy Spirit. Right? If you just take, I'm, I'm giving you a bunch of scriptures here, there's only like 10 times as many that would make this point. But it legalizes focusing on the Holy Spirit which some people in a genuine, sincere way have made it illegal. Almost as though, whoa, 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 wait, wait. If you turn the attention onto the Spirit, well, wait, the Spirit just comes to reveal Christ to us, so I don't think we're supposed to focus on the Spirit. We're just supposed to focus on Christ. When we focus on Christ, do any of y'all stand forward and say, whoa, 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 time out. What about the Father? He's getting a bad end of the deal here. Right? All of a sudden, you shifted this. What about the Father who created everything, the Father who sent everything? Why is this all focused on the person and work of Christ so much? Listen, the person and work of Christ is the hinge on which we either get restored or we do not. But that doesn't mean God can't put any emphasis somewhere else. And I think accurately so, as many of those theologians that I stuck in front of you there just said, this is the age of the Spirit. And i got to go with these guys that say, hey, if you had three ages, you had the age of the Father, the age of the Son, and the age of the Spirit all being revealed. The one you and I are living in is the age of the Spirit. So I, I think it's legal to focus on the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our midst. Secondly, it draws our attention to the, the center of the chapter that we live in. Right? And if you don't believe this is the center, go pick up the thousand-page book and read it. And see if you don't find out, oh my gosh, the Spirit is mentioned everywhere. He actually looks for the ministry of the Holy Spirit in every New Testament epistle. And you will be blown away how much the ministry of the Spirit is there. And it will shift you. It will. It's a, it's a big book. You can read it in pieces, though. Third, it awakens us to not settle for previous chapters, but to fully dwell in this chapter. Right, here's a great classic example. In this chapter, the tabernacle chapter, God dwelled geographically in a building, in a tent that you set up, and in a building, and God made his presence known right there at that place. Somewhere, even in the land of Christendom, you got people thinking that this is God's house. They come today, this is God's house. Can I just tell you, this ain't God's house. Where'd you get that idea? Back here in the tabernacle. 
where God did say, I'm going to dwell among my people by dwelling right here. You want to find me on planet Earth? I'm right here. Travel, pack your bags, show up with an offering, let the blood be shed, and then welcome to my presence. If you wanted to meet the presence of God in Palestine when Jesus Christ walked here, go find wherever he is. He's performing miracles and preaching the gospel. If you want to find the presence of God today, the little tongue of fire sitting on top of your head, he is inside of you. That's the day that you and I live in. So, but yet, we retain too much of these old images and we miss what God is doing currently. And lastly, it gives us cause to seek to intentionally engage the various ministries and activities of the Holy Spirit. His fruit, his gifts, the baptism and filling of the Spirit, his work of sanctification, the miracles he performs, the communing with God dimension of the Spirit. Right? Now, I, I know, you know, I mean, and I know there's a bunch of you guys, I've, I've not spent a ton of time with some of you figuring out what kind of theological background you come from. But sometimes when you bring up the Holy Spirit, you'll, you'll get this response from some people. Oh, here we go. Here we go. And, and it's almost, that's informing. I don't mean to be insulting, but it is informing. What, you, you thought the Bible was about somebody else? The New Testament in particular. We're, we're, because somebody threw a flag, right? Somebody said, oh, flag on the ground. You've been menacing the Holy Spirit a whole lot more than you've been mentioning Jesus lately. Look, I'm not up to compete one against the other, but go and read the New Testament and find out how much the New Testament speaks of the Holy Spirit and find out whether or not you've been speaking of him enough. And so everything I just listed, you want, you want to talk about sanctification this morning? You want to talk about becoming holy? You want to talk about putting off sin? Do you realize the Bible calls on you to put to death the deeds of the flesh by the... Oh, he's in that category too. Tell me a category we can't talk about. Well, let's talk about the teaching ministry of the church. Should we teach the Bible, Keith? Well, you know, the Lord I just quoted from said that the Holy Spirit would come and he would lead you into the truth. So this is an empty book with no words in it until the Holy Spirit teaches it to you. So teaching now becomes a gift of the Spirit and a ministry of the Spirit. Or you know, say, I could go on for a while, couldn't I? Because the Bible puts all this into the manifestation in these last days of the presence of God being active among us by the Spirit. Now, here's how I want to close. Are, 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 you, are you satisfied with your encounter with the Spirit of God? in your life. You good with that? All this Bible's been pointing to something. Now, I realize that we have said, and we've said accurately, the Bible's been pointing to the person and the work of Christ. But, but when Jesus says it's finished, there's another it's done coming in Revelation. And this one has to do with this New day in which a new heaven and a new earth exists and God fully dwells among us. What was God trying to do in this Bible? He was restoring his presence to us. The presence that convinces us that I am deeply loved by God. God wants me to know the height and the depth and the breadth and the width of 
that love, and he does that by the Spirit. So, you know, listen, if you're here this morning and you're troubled by your life, you think God has forgotten about you, you question his love, can, can I just tell you, you're having a breakdown of the ministry of the Spirit in your life. Because that's how you become aware of that. This God wants to dwell with us, among us, he wants to make himself manifest to us. Now, I, I don't know how you are in this, but you know, as I was refreshed by studying this this week and getting with God, and I had to just confess to God, God, I'm not okay with where I'm at. I can't conclude, Lord, that I in these last days am, am experiencing your presence and your spirit in the ways that you longed for me to have it in that day. I think I'm falling short. And so can you, can you do this with me as a church? I mean, maybe this is just introducing you to some thought, but can you begin to pray and maybe in the days to come, we can pay attention to this a little better, personally. And we can stop the service in a moment we can invite people to receive from the presence of God in a variety of ways. I hope you'll come for the, the little potluck dinner that we do because those, those nights are designed just to, to just leave the night open for the Holy Spirit to come and be in our midst and make himself known to us. But can you make room for that? Can you look at your own life and can you see there was this major, major thing God was after? It was returning his active presence to your life so that you would be convinced, aware, tasting and seeing his goodness, experiencing him that way. And, and if right now that's not where it needs to be for you as it's not for me, could, could we together pray and ask God in days ahead to help us meet him? It's what he longed for these last days to be. And I don't want to miss what God had. Let's, let's stand up together. Lord, it is humbling and amazing to think that when you breathed your life into Adam and Eve, you were longing for intimacy with them, life exchange with them. Lord, your great love for that purpose never waned, it never changed. It was what you set everything in motion to recapture. God, we thank you that we can look forward to a day when your presence among us will be unhindered, unopposed, unobstructed. It won't take faith. It will become as real as anything could possibly be to us. So Lord, we long for that day, but we live in the last days the days where so much of that future day is accessible to us. Lord, this is not the tabernacle days. This is the last days. And Lord, there's so much available 
to us. So much of your spirit to know and to experience. And we don't want to miss it. God, I don't want to miss it. So God, help us. Help us escape the orbit of natural mindedness. Help us to not be like those who don't have the spirit. Lord, help us to not merely be fallen versions of Adam and Eve with some concept of God at a distance. Lord, help us not even to be those people who if they wanted to experience glory had to travel to a location. Lord, help us to be the people who have become the very temples of God, the dwelling place of God among men where your spirit is alive, communicating, walking with, transforming us revealing to us, changing us, empowering us for amazing things. God, that is the day that we're in. And we want nothing less. We know you want nothing less. But God, we're here today as a church to tell you, God, we want nothing less. So Spirit of God, you are welcome. And we crave your presence among us. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And bless you guys.